Amen. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship this morning. I almost didn't want to get up and preach, uh, um, but at the same time, we have a verse-by-verse study uh, to continue. If you're new with us this morning, welcome to Oasis. We are going uh, through the book of Mark, a verse-by-verse study. We're in the fourth week, and we're all the way. Today, we're going to finish up in verse 28 of Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28 to catch you up. Uh, Last week, we spent a good amount of time looking at uh, verses uh, 14 through 20. We looked specifically um, at uh, a Jesus preparing in verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. And so right off the bat last week, Jesus was preparing and preaching uh, the message of the gospel, which was the good news. The good news of what? As we saw last week, the good news was we as sinners were born in our sin and the, the penalty for that is an eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. And that's not the good news. The good news is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Son. So we talked a lot last week about the good news, what it means to repent, what it means to turn away from our sin, and then to um, not only just repent, but believe that Jesus is able um, to uh, to wash away those sins. And I was just reminded of that even again this morning as Maddie was singing the song, I'm clean, I'm clean, my sins are washed away. And so we're going to continue uh, in chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Um, last week, though, we also looked at a mandate uh, or a calling that Christ extended to four men. Uh, these four men were fishing, um, and uh, the command was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These four men were Simon, called Peter, Andrew, and then James and John. Um, And the cool thing that we looked at last week is when these four men, these four disciples were called to join Jesus's mission and his message to take the gospel message of salvation to a world in need of it, they did so immediately. They did it without hesitation. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, they did it so quickly, they left their dad, Zebedee, in the boat uh, with all the other servants. And we talked about last week, if I did that to my dad, I'd probably be in trouble. Um, so we looked at the calling, we saw the immediate obedience um, in their uh, following. They were called, and they stepped out on faith and followed Christ. Uh, in verse 21 today, we're going to pick up where Jesus and his new uh, four newly called uh, disciples are leaving the shoreline and heading into Capernaum uh, to begin uh, ministry. But before we go there, uh, I want to drive home this main point with you this morning, and it's simply this. As Christians that have a relationship with Christ, we are called to follow him daily. We must understand the authority we have been given to accomplish his will daily. And the title of this morning's message is simply that, simply that, Acting on Authority. So let's read Mark chapter 1, 21 to 28, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the study this morning. It says here in verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he, being Christ, entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. 
verse 25, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread about, spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Dear God, this morning as we come together uh, in your house this morning, I cannot hide the fact that I'm excited to see rows and seats packed with people here to hear the preaching of your word. And God, I pray that as we look at this next segment of Scripture in our verse-by-verse study, as we study what it means to be walking with you, um, God, I pray that we realize that your son Jesus is about to perform an action here in this passage that establishes his authority to fulfill your mission for his life. And God, I pray that we leave here this morning with the understanding that we too can draw from that same authority based on us teaching and preaching the truth of your will to conquer any trial, any stress, or any situation that we go through on the daily basis, ultimately, God, to accomplish your perfect will. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't know what it really means to to have a relationship with you, to fully trust you as their Lord and Savior, or maybe even watching online this morning as they, as they sit in their home and wondering what it means to give their life to you. God, I pray that through your word, you would speak to their heart. But God, I also pray for the Christians online and Christians here this morning that need to understand this idea of the authority that you bestowed upon your son Christ and how we too can act on it to accomplish your will of building the kingdom on a daily basis. God, I pray you'd fill me with the words you'd have me to say, and I pray that we leave here changed, we leave here different than when we came in this morning. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So as I said earlier, our, as Christians, we're called to follow him daily. We must understand the authority we've been given is to accomplish his daily will. So right off the bat this morning in verses 21 and 22, we're going to look, first of all, at the idea of Jesus establishing his authority. Now, if you were here with us last week, we went from verses 13 and we started in verse 14, and it was a very quick jump. Uh, Most commentators think there was a several-month gap between um, the baptism of Christ and when he first calls Simon and Andrew um, there on the shores of the sea. And uh, obviously, he had gone through... We saw last week, he had to go through Samaria, uh, which wasn't the friendliest of neighbors to Israel at the time, to avoid um, uh, being arrested by the authorities like John, uh, the forerunner, was just arrested. And so he comes in and he calls these four men to follow them. And we saw last week, they immediately did just that. And then right after that, verses 21 and 22, it says, they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So to understand the cultural context here, Jesus is going into the synagogue. The synagogue was, um, quote-unquote, the the church building of the day. Um, If you were in a town 
in Israel at this time frame, and you had at least 10 people uh, in your population, a synagogue was formed. Um, and this synagogue was a place where prayer uh, was taking place, where the reading of God's word was taking place, where teaching and instruction was taking place. Kind of sounds like church, does it not? Um, so the synagogue, in a way, was the church of their day. Um, specifically, uh, to understand their culture, um, the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the writing of the prophets, Isaiah and others, were the, the used, uh, agreed-upon texts that would be discussed, would be read uh, and debated within the synagogue. The law of Moses in the Old Testament was the final rule and authority uh, for Jewish custom and practices at this time. Specifically, Jesus enters into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which if you're familiar with Jewish custom, the Sabbath day is the day in which it's recognized as the day of rest. Uh, as God created the world in six literal days, the Bible says on the seventh day, He rested. And so the Sabbath was a day that was set apart in the law to do just that, to rest. So there's a little bit of cultural friction here by Jesus entering into the synagogue on the day of the Sabbath and to teach. And um, they were astonished, it says, at His doctrine, for He taught, with, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Um, when the word astonished here literally means there's, we're going to see the word amazed um, down later in the passage, also translated as astonished in several other translations. Um, it literally means a jaw-dropping moment. When Jesus enters into the synagogue and begins to teach, now what was he teaching? Last week we talked about what he was teaching. He was teaching the gospel of the kingdom, the idea of the good news, of what he, as the Son of God, was about to do by going to the cross to pay for all the sins of mankind. And not only the good news of that, but the idea of repentance, the idea of believing in Christ. So this is the gospel of the kingdom that he was teaching. And they were astonished in the sense as if their jaw hit the floor. Have you ever watched something, you ever read something that your jaw literally hits the floor like, did that just happen? Uh, last night, I was watching a hockey game that was supposed to be in the afternoon. It turned around to be like at nine o'clock at night. Um, I was on the couch, like my wife and the girls are in bed sleeping. And in the third period, one of the Golden Knights scored a goal that was just beautiful. Like, it looked like he was a figure skater. He did this little spin maneuver, flicks the goal in the back of the net. And I was like, like my jaw like hit the floor. Like, that was just amazing. Pastor Aaron's making fun of me right now because I'm talking about hockey. Um, but anyways, it was a jaw-dropping moment. They come into the synagogue and they teach. And these, these, these people in the synagogue are like, this is, their jaws are dropped to the sense of this isn't salvation or getting to heaven based on the, keeping the works of the law. This was completely different to what they were accustomed uh, to hearing. Um, and, and, and so they, they knew, though, that everything that he was quoting based off of the Old Testament and, and just, they, they, they had an idea that what he was saying was true. They probably just haven't heard it with such gravitas or such passion. It was almost like a breath of fresh air. When it says, he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So there's a little bit of a compare in contrast. So let's focus on the idea of authority. He spoke with authority. Uh, so let's look elsewhere in Scripture where it talks about the authority that Jesus spoke with. In Matthew 28, 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. John 14, 10 goes on to say, Believest thou not that I am, excuse me, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? 
The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, and he doeth the works. And then John twelve forty nine says, For I have not spoken of myself, but of the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. So these, these passages that I just read are later on in the ministry of Christ, but he points back to this authority that he as the Son of God is established to teach and to preach with. And so how do we apply that today? Um, when it comes to the authority, when it comes to a friend or a family member saying, hey, I'm dealing with this situation, or I have this job situation, or I have this family or marital or financial problem, whatever it may be, you and I have the Word of God that has the answer to just about every, if not every problem and principle that we can look at today. And we, as, as children of God, as Christians, can take the Bible with the authority of, this is not my Word but this is God the Father's word to share that with people in need. And that's exactly what Jesus just did. He says, these are not my words, but these are my Father's words. I and my Father are, are one. He dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. I haven't spoken of myself. And so there's authority there, but there's also authority in the way he spoke. Now, if you, everyone in here is a child of a parent, and most of us in here, I believe, have had children or currently have children. Um, whenever a parent speaks with authority, usually it's a tone change, is it not? Um, there's times where my daughter's watching a TV show and I'll ask her to do something, and she's just like zoned out. She's in like that world. And then I'll say, McKenna, and she'll be like, huh? And then I'll say something to her, and there's times where my tone can change, and I say something with a little bit more weight, a little bit more tone, and she understands, okay, dad's asking me to do something that I need to do. Um, when I was a kid, my older brother was um, left in charge of me and my siblings, which was always fun. Uh, when the parents are, are away, we would, you know, just cause mischief and, and, and stripes. But my brother was always the one in charge. Why? Because he was the oldest. Does that mean he was the most mature? Probably not. Um, but one day, I don't even remember what I was goofing off about. I don't even remember exactly what age it was. I just remember my reaction to it. But um, he says to me, like he's trying to get my attention. He says, hey, Dan, Dan, Daniel, I need you to do this. And uh, at one point, I think I'm just being a punk little kid. And I'm like, I don't No, I'm not going to listen to you. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. Um, he grabs me by the arms and he shakes me. And he's like, who do you think you are? Like he's being serious. And I'm like, like a deer caught in headlights. Like, okay, Freddy's for real. And I don't know how I went into this next, but just to break the tension, I just started singing, Mr. Big Stuff, and, like, and then his entire demeanor broke, and then to this day, I talked to him about it, he's like, I don't even remember what you were, like, I was trying to get across to you, but you completely broke the ice, and the problem, though, is like, you ever have, some, you ever have time where you're trying to tell a kid something, and they just say something, you're being serious, you're trying to convey authority, and they just say the weirdest thing off the wall, and you're just like... That just went over their head. They're not going to listen to that. Um, so the, the point here, though, is when Jesus is establishing his authority, the people within the synagogue, they're astonished at his teaching. He spoke with authority, and the way he spoke was different than the way the scribes had spoken previously. Why was that? Because one of the differences that many commentators pointed to is that Jesus actually practiced what he preached. He lived it. Um, in the synagogue, the scribes were known for copying of scriptures and making duplicates, but also would read it as like this is what the word says in verse uh, um, 
21, and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day. They read it with um, more of just for the sake of reading it. Whereas when Jesus spoke with authority, he, he, he was passionate, he lived it to the point where he was quoting things that some commentators said they knew what he's saying was true. They just, this is like a breath of fresh air to them. This is a completely different way than they're used to hearing it um, before. And so he's teaching about the good news. He's speaking with authority. He lives it. So today, how do we bring that home for us? Going back to the, the idea that we looked at last week when Jesus calls, and if we immediately obey and follow, when we follow God, we speak His truth, the truth will astonish and amaze people because of just how unfathomable God's grace really is in regards to forgiving our sin. Christians are commissioned to speak his truth, and that commission is empowered by God the Father's authority. So the same authority that God the Father gives Jesus to speak truth is the same authority that he equips us with Christians to speak truth in the daily lives of ourselves and all those around us. Secondly, not only does Jesus establish his authority this morning, but he's also going to act on that authority. Verses 23 through 26. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. When I first read this, I'm picturing the synagogue as a church, right? What's a possessed man doing in church? That was my first thought. The the, the Bible says a man with an unclean spirit. This man was possessed um, of a demonic presence, uh, this unclean spirit that cried out. And I asked this question, what's a possessed man doing in church? You know, and I said this this morning, we've all been in church Sometimes, and I'm not calling people possessed, so don't hear me wrong here, but sometimes people act a little different in church, do they not? And you're just kind of like, what is going on? And you're kind of like, I'm going to stretch my arm and kind of look back there and try to be nonchalant about it. Don't lie, we've all done it. Um, But here's the thing, when I've stopped and I thought about this, where else would you prefer someone like being tormented with demonic oppression be? Under the preaching of the Word of God, right? under the teaching and the instruction of thus saith the Lord. And this man was right where he needed to be, especially for what's about to take place. So why is he there? But what's the purpose of him being there? Why? So, and I believe the purpose is for Jesus to show that his authority is more than just words of saying who he is or whom he is a messenger of. I believe this all kind of comes together because the following action is going to display the fact that Christ Jesus is God. And here's the cool part. In verses 23 through 26, to parallel the four men getting out of the boat, some of them leaving their dad in the boat, Jesus didn't hesitate. He acted immediately. He knew the plan for God the Father and what he was to do. And so this, the unclean spirit, this response there, this unclean spirit in verse 23 cries out. He says, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus, son of Nazareth? It's almost as if it's be, they're being demeaning to Christ. But this, this spirit, you'll see some plural pronouns. You see us, you see we, and that's indicative of demonic um, situations all throughout Scripture. Art thou come to destroy us? I know who you are, thou holy one of God. I'm a sports nut. 
And so when I see like a matchup that's going to be like a David versus Goliath situation, it's probably a poor illustration since David killed Goliath. But at the same time, when I see like a big dog against a little dog, I'm like, someone's about to get smacked down. This ain't going to be pretty. Um, and that's kind of the way I look at this. There's about to be a showdown of the ages right now where they're taunting Christ. That's the way I take it. Are you here to destroy us? You have no idea what's about to happen. Um, and so Jesus rebukes him. Excuse me, I don't want to go, I don't want to miss this. Jesus had a reputation with this unclean spirit. They knew who he was, but they also described him as the Holy One of God. This unclean spirit realized that Jesus was the Son of God. That's a smack in my face because there's times in my life where I don't even acknowledge that on a day-to-day basis, where I try to take a situation in my hands or I try to fix something. So when he says, leave us alone, why are you here? What do you need to do with us? Are you here to destroy us? I know you. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus commands the Spirit to leave the man. Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. When I first read this in the King James English, I, I, when I study, I look at other translations and I see how things are rendered. Uh, in one of the translations, I kind of like, yeah, that's kind of what I think of when I hear this. Basically, Jesus said, and um, if you have children in um, the room and you don't use these words at home, I apologize. Jesus said, shut up and leave. Yes, yes. This is what Jesus said to this demon, to this, this uh, possessed unclean spirit, this man that was possessed of an unclean spirit. Not to the man, but to the unclean spirit. And he says, stop talking, hold your peace, and come out of him. Uh, Mr. Kenny was in the 830 service, and he texted me uh, in between services. says, just so you know, the Spanish version of the Bible literally says, shut up and get out of here. And I'm like, there we go. That, that's all I needed. And so, um, so the purpose here was that Jesus was going to show his authority. This unclean spirit is being told to leave, to shut up and leave, shut up and get out of him. And then in verse 26 And the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, and he came out of him. Came out of him. Jesus just flexed his authority as God of the universe that said, hey, I can tell these guys what to do. And can I tell you something? In our day-to-day life each and every day, we have that very same access through the power of Christ. When we're struggling, when we're dealing with something we can't break whether it's an addiction or whether it's a struggle or it's a sin habit, whatever it is, we have the authority through God to say, devil, shut up and get out of here. Where's the scriptural backing for that? James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The spirit obeys Jesus' command. In Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, wherefore God also have highly exalted him, as Paul's telling the church of Philippi, and given him a name which is above every name, that, the name of, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father has power and authority over any oppression that we struggle with over any trial, over any stress. When we follow God, we speak His truth, we can face any obstacle, any situation, knowing that God and Jesus has the authority to rid us of any wrong influence or temptation. And I can't put it in a better nutshell, but that's what victorious Christian living is all about right there. 
is when you realize the battle is pretty much already settled. Romans 8, we're more than conquerors. Romans 8, if Christ be for us, you finish it. Who can be against us? If we live in that sense of victory daily, and that's what it means to live victorious in the Christian life, is to realize that you too, as a follower of Christ, have the authority to shut Satan up. I'm going to have a bunch of teenagers tonight in student ministry going, shut up, Satan, you know, as they listen to this morning. Um, but the promise is so true. And as I read earlier in James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You want to know how to get over that sin? You want to know how to get over that habit? You want to know how to release that struggle? It's one word solution, and James lays it out. Resist. Resist. That's all we have to do is just resist. Push back. Say, no. Peace. Close your mouth. Get out of here. Because here's the sad reality, but yet the promise that, the promise is cool, but the sad reality is Satan's not going to waste his time on you. He's going to go find another weaker brother. And that's why we as Christians have to work to encourage each other so there are no weaker brethren. So to live victorious is to realize that not only does Jesus establish and act as his authority, but lastly this morning, there's the results of his authority that we're going to see in verses 27 and 28. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he, even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. It says in verse 27, excuse me, the people were amazed. Earlier they were astonished. They were astonished as in like, this is a breath of fresh air. This is a new message. Now the result of the message is changing their heart and softening their heart to where they're starting to question each other. Like, what is this new thing? What is, another translation says, when it says, what is this thing? It says, what is this word? This is a new message. What is this new teaching? How do unclean spirits obey this guy? You know, that's so indicative, I think, of our spiritual journey. I remember how it felt the first time I heard the message. In fact, I was offended with the Bible. What do you mean I'm a sinner? What do you mean I did wrong? I'm a pretty good kid. I destroy church plants and pavers here and there. I'm a pretty good kid, though. I get into mischief. I get into trouble. At one point, and I've shared this before, between me and my best friend Jonathan, that there was people in the church who used to pray that one of us would move away. Um, we were bad kids. Um, but can I tell you something? That, that bad behavior is what made me realize one night at a young age of five years old that if I were to die in my sin, that I would go to a very real place called hell. Not because my Sunday school teacher told me, not because my brother or my mom told me, but because the very word of God, the truth, laid that on my young heart to say, if you die in this state, you won't be in heaven with God for eternity. And I remember being offended by that. I remember saying, I don't like that. And it says, what do you mean my sin sends me to hell? But I also remember the joy and the grace of seeing the greatest semicolon in conjunction in the history of Scripture in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I remember the awe, I remember the astonishment, I remember the amazement, and as a young child praying on the floor of the Sonterra Apartments on Lake Mead and Michael Way, praying and asking Jesus to save me from my sin. And I remember my older brother being a goofball, jumping up and down on the couch because he was excited. But I go back to that day 
And I look at this passage in 27, and they're amazed in so much that they question among themselves, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority commanded he even the unclean spirits? Let me tell you the answer to that authority is the authority that God the Father laid on him. The, the authority that God established within his son Christ to go and be the propitiation for our sins, to go and be the savior for all mankind. The people were amazed. The message of the gospel of the kingdom left an impression. And can I tell you something? If you ever think you're laboring in vain, if you ever think you, you're talking with a neighbor or a loved one and you're pleading with them to just trust in Christ, Isaiah 55, 11 tells us that the word of God shall not return void. It shall accomplish that which God pleases. It shall prosper in the thing where God wants to send it. And the thing is, is there may be times where you're praying and you're burdened for someone. There may be times where you're burdened and struggling with something yourself. You have the authority through God based on the truth of Scripture to tell the devil to shut up and leave. You have the authority to be amazed by the gospel message personally, but then in turn take that to a world that needs it. Why? Because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If there's no other authority statement that's bigger than that in Scripture, it's that right there, that Jesus is the only way. But yet these men questioned each other. And then in verse 28, immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. His reputation spread like wildfire. The followers of Christ from this point, as we continue through the study of Mark, and we talked about this the last couple of weeks, Mark is a very rapid fire author of the life of Christ. We go through like different segments and it's almost a, a cliff notes version. Uh, the parallel passage of this exact passage is in Luke chapter four, and he gives a little bit more detail. Um, but when Mark is the one, you know, as we go through this, we're going to start to see that the, those that Christ calls, doesn't just doesn't call the four, he calls others to come alongside to be his disciples. And the followers of Christ are going to begin to grow uh, and multiply quickly. Several months, remember, have transpired between Jesus' baptism and when he called this four men, and now he's in Capernaum. Uh, he had to go through Samaria to avoid arrest. And that's one of the coolest things in Scripture. When you look at it and you're like, why did, this was a question I always had, why was Jesus selectively like, like popular at times, like where he said, hey, I'm going to go another way to avoid, you know, interruption or detection. Or if he heals a man and says, hey, don't go tell anyone about this. But then other times results of this, like, hey, his fame is spreading throughout all the land. And the only, only summation I could come up to is the fact that Jesus knows everything. He knows exactly the path when he was on earth to get to the cross. Why? Because God the Father revealed it to him. I often wonder, man, if I had a roadmap of life revealed to me that way, how awesome would that be? And then I quickly remember, I would mess it up. I would take a detour there. I would, I would you know, just because I'm human, but Christ was human, but yet he was 100% God at the same time. And his reputation here is going to spread all throughout the region, all throughout Galilee. So when we look at our lives today, I asked the question earlier, in fact, I even prayed about it, and I said, if you um, don't know who Christ is, if you're watching online this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, it's my heart, it's my prayer that that's the first step you take. It's the most important step you take. And we talked about last week that that decision is not just a point in our timeline. That decision is really the beginning of our relationship with Christ. When I got married, I didn't just say, all right, finish line, woohoo, done. 
No, we went to a marriage conference this weekend and my wife and I, there was things that I like got poured into and I'm like, man, one of the things that Mike and Pastor Aaron in the split session um, was, this was so backwards the way I was like thought was as men um, or even as women respectively, we need accountability with each other. We need to like, to, to, to walk alongside of each other. Pastor Aaron said it this way, after Mike had shared about the idea of accountability, Pastor Aaron's like, grab a guy by the neck, hug him, tell him you're broken. It's okay to cry. And I'm like, it's okay to cry. I'm a dude. I'm like, I'm going to lose my man card. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> but then the vulner- listen, the vulnerability, the accountability, the idea of we're in this together, church. The mission is to carry the message of Christ to reach people outside the church to, with the gospel, but it's also to reach people with inside the walls of these church. Because we never take for granted that just because you're here doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. People struggle. People wrestle with that. Be accountable. Have people you can reach with. So if you don't have a relationship with God, let me encourage you to, to make that first step. But as a, if you do have that relationship and you, have, you are a Christian, are you following God's call on your life to tell others about him? I don't know about you, but one of the things that really slaps me across the face, um, my wife and I are polar opposites when it comes to, my wife doesn't slap me across the face, um, polar opposites when it comes to our personality. She's more introverted, very like kind of into herself. I'm an extrovert. I can go talk up a conversation with a random stranger um, until they make fun of me and then I just want to, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I can have that conversation and, and the thing that is, but deep down, I'm an extrovert, but deep down, I'm afraid to tell others about what Jesus did sometimes because I'm afraid of what they might say. I'm afraid of how they might react. Or I might, you know, and I mean, I know what society's view is. They might look at me as weak. Oh, you need a crutch. It's not a crutch. That's a, that's a, it's a, it's a strength to lean on God. And we have those fears. But the greatest takeaway from this is to realize if God the Father establishes Jesus to have this authority to tell an unclean spirit to shut up and leave, shouldn't I have that same confidence and authority in my everyday life to say, no, I can go tell that person about what Jesus did. As we sang in worship this morning, name above all names. Like, just think about that. We have a third child on the way and we're debating names. Now, I want this name, and she wants this name, and it's kind of a fun thing. But of the fun and the joy of it is to name a child. There's no name greater than the name of Jesus. There's no payment that's greater than what he did, and his reputation spread like wildfire. He has four disciples. More are going to be called. So here's my question. Are you following God's call in your life to tell others about him? Are you going to be a disciple of his and take the truth to your neighbor that needs it, your coworker that needs it, your family member that needs it? And are you astonished? Are you amazed by the life-changing grace of God? Can I tell you something? I, uh, three and a half years ago, when I first came on staff at Oasis, Pastor and uh, myself and Rachel and Mindy and Norma at the time, we read a book together called Grace Walk. I didn't share this with the 830 service, but that book, outside of the Bible, really helped me. I believe the author is Steve McVeigh. That book really helped me realize what the grace of God really is. And I shouldn't have to live in guilt because of mistakes that I've made. I shouldn't have to live in worry 
Because God's grace and the blood atonement on the cross was enough to cover everything I've ever done wrong. And when we face the cross, we leave the baggage of our past behind. But are we astonished and amazed by God's unmatchless grace? And then I asked the question earlier, when it comes to resisting the devil and fleeing from you, are you living in victory, realizing you have the authority to say, shut up and get out of here? And then lastly, are you, living, are you a living billboard of what Christ has done in your life? Is the life change that you experience influencing others to come to Christ? 2020, 2021, one of the craziest years we've ever gone through. If we had the cure, the cure, not just a vaccine, but if we had the cure for coronavirus or cancer or any type of illness, would we not be like screaming it from the hilltops and trying to tell everybody about it? I know it's a silly illustration, but we have, we have the sin debt cure for eternity. Instead of spending eternity in hell, you can have a loving relationship and not just eternity with heaven is great, but have a loving relationship with him here now because he's calling and it's our job to immediately follow. The question is, will we'll be amazed, will we be astonished when his grace reaches out to us? And then are we being the influence to others? Will we act on that authority? Will we realize that we are called to follow him daily? And will we understand the authority that we've been given is the same authority that we can accomplish God's perfect will for our life? Lord, thank you so much for this day, this opportunity to be in your house this morning. I thank you for this message and how you used it to speak into my heart, into my life, and how there's times where I'm afraid to share the truth. There's times where I'm afraid, even though I'm more outgoing, there's times where I fear the re response. God, through these several short verses this morning, you showed us the importance of the gospel message, but you also showed us the idea of the authority that you gave Christ, the authority to push the devil away, the authority to wake people up. This is a breath of fresh air. This is a new message it's a message based on grace. It's a message based on your love. It's a message that's not based on us working our way to get to heaven. But rather, it's a message based on you finished the work and it was settled on the cross. God, I don't know the struggle of each and every person in here, but with a crowd this size this morning, God, I would, I would venture to say that there's struggles this morning. There's addictions, there's, there's vices, there's stressful situations, traps of, of sin that people are dealing with. God, I pray that it's seen this morning through your word. All it takes is submission to you, surrender to you, and to resist the devil. To simply say, shut up and get out of here. You're not going to win with me today. God, help us to realize that that submission is daily. Help us to realize that resisting temptation is daily. Because the truth of the matter, God, is there's a gospel message, the good news of what you did on the cross, that you've commissioned us as Christians, not just pastors, not just teachers, not just deacons or leaders within a church, but all of us as Christians, God, you've commissioned and commanded us to go into all the world and teach and preach the good news 
to show people to repent from their sins and ultimately believe on you and you alone for their salvation. God, if there's someone here tonight, this morning that needs salvation, needs that relationship with you, or simply the Christian this morning that needs to fully surrender to the idea that they have the authority to push the devil back, to conquer the sin, to conquer the struggle that they're dealing with, God, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning. Ask this in your name. As the piano continues to play, if you'd like to remain there at your seat or if you'd like to even come up here to pray. As I said, I don't know how this message affected you, but I know where God spoke in it to me. God spoke to me about not being afraid of sharing the truth. God spoke to me about realizing that the situations that I may go through is a situation where I can give it to Christ. I could put it at his feet. I could tell the devil to shut up and leave, and he will. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven be your home, please, let's get that settled before you leave, whether it's talking to myself or even pastor. Before we leave this building this morning, let's make sure that's taken care of first. And Christian, don't forget to live in victory living in victory because we're more than conquerors. And if Christ be for us, who can be against us? And that's a daily realization and choice. Take these next few moments to pray as God has dealt with your heart accordingly.